The first time I saw the ocean was at Reed State Park in Maine. My family would go up there to vacation while I was growing up. And one of those moments that definitely impresses your memory, the size and the scope, sound. And like any young kid, I'm, I'm playing in the surf or building sand castles. We're having a great time as the water is washing over us and pushing us around. I do remember though, two uh, guys, probably in their 30s, pretty athletic. And while everyone else was being pushed around by the waves and moved by the waves, these two were desperately trying to stand up and resist the waves. As they, uh, as the surf would come barreling in, they'd turn around at the last second, put their back to the wave and, and let it plow into them. More often than not, if I remember correctly, the wave won the battle. There's just so much force behind it, so much momentum behind it. Could you imagine what a life could be like? Uh, a marriage, a family, a church. If it learned how to muster up that type of volume and weight, like the water that was in the ocean the kind of love and compassion that could just wash over any situation and move it according to the will and the plan of God. We're trying to learn how to step into the flow of God's love. The word agape is what we introduced ourselves to last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14. That in a culture that's all about self, in a culture that's all about self-promotion, the Apostle Paul says uh, there's a better way, a, a way that's a billion times better, uh, more than self-promotion. It's neighborly devotion, the kind of attention that is focused on the well-being of somebody else. Instead of being focused on myself, learning how to care for the other, whether that other is right next to me or across the street or across the tracks or across the city, across the town. It doesn't matter. Uh, this is the way that God relates to the world. And so this summer, we're unpacking some of those ideas. But before we get into what that type of love is from a descriptive perspective, the Apostle Paul continues his passage in 1 Corinthians 13 by talking about what it's not. And that can be very healthy um, way of teaching on something. Before I'm going to show you what it is, let me show you what it's not. And I think some of the things that the Apostle Paul wants to say will be very confrontational to us. It's going to present some ideas that are going to make us squirm a little bit. And that's okay. That's what Paul's trying to do. Because he doesn't want us to waste our life. He doesn't want us to live a life that has no meaning and no impact. He wants our churches and our families, our marriages, our lives to have the kind of force and weight of the ocean waves that wash up against the shore. The kind of uh, force that leaves behind a mark in a life that matters. So I'm going to start reading in 1 Corinthians 13. And you can follow along. I'm just going to look at the first three verses. Uh, if you're watching currently online or on a Sunday morning, I'll bring the verses up for you. But I really do love it if you could find a Bible and dive into this yourself. Uh, it makes a big difference. 1 Corinthians 13. And let's see what Paul says. Um, a life without this type of love. What, what, it, what it produces. What it's like. It says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. 
If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So right there in that passage, the Apostle Paul is presenting um, three ways and three aspects of, of, of emptiness, of nothingness that result from a life without this type of love. There's a self-centered type of love. This love that we're learning about in this passage flows from God through us to others. But when that type of attention isn't present, this is what it produces. And if you have your notes, it would be helpful. You might want to write some of these things down um, just for your own memory. So a life without love uh, produces what kind of emptiness? Well, there's an empty words that are associated with that type of life. Empty words. He talks about uh, if I speak with a certain type of tongue, the tongues of men and tongues of angels. This goes back to what Paul has been teaching on previously in chapter 12, which we didn't talk about, but it's a, a way of prayer. It's a way of praise. And, and this would have been sought after in the Corinthian church because it's something that would get you a lot of attention. And they were all about getting attention. Words that would get me attention. A way of praying and a way of praising. And he says, when agape is not present, God love, neighborly devotion isn't present. Those are empty words. It doesn't mean anything. And he compares it to two things. He, number one, he compares it to a, a resounding gong. Not like you think like a big Chinese gong, boom, uh, in an orchestra. But this was referring to brass um, vases and, and columns that were inside of an auditorium. And they were used for helping, um, like, a microphone would. When you would speak, the placement of these gongs, these, these brass spheres, help the sound reverberate in the auditorium. But he says, without the presence of God love, being attentive to the neighbor, you're just like that gong, but you, there's nothing to reverberate. There's nothing that, that's bouncing off. There's no message that's coming through it. Okay? It's just... It's, it's just to walk and go ping, and that's all that there is. There's no message attached to it. Or you could be like a, a cymbal. Um, if you look up on the, the platform, there's different types of instruments there. You know, we have a piano and guitars and uh, our percussion section. You have a drum kit over on the side, and a part of that drum kit are the cymbals. And cymbals don't carry any intonation of themselves. They're not melodic. Um, they're for helping keep time. But they don't carry a message with them, like a melody, perchance. And this is one of the things that he's trying to teach. He says, hey, if you don't have love, uh, the type of love that's attentive to the neighbor, you're empty. Your words don't carry any weight with them. You'll be heard, but nobody will want to hear you. He goes and he talks about um, empty ministry. He talks about prophecy and knowledge and faith. 
Again, these things in verse 2 go back to what he's talking about in chapter 12 and again in chapter 14. Uh, the ministry of prophecy and the ministry of knowledge and the ministry of faith are all expressions of the Holy Spirit working through the life of a church. To have the gift of prophecy means that you are one who speaks God's message on God's behalf, like a prophet would. Not about um, foretelling, but forthtelling. Hey, God is expecting this from us. There's a way that we should act. Knowledge means to have that supernatural spiritual ability to discern things that are hidden, that aren't known, that can help in the health of a church. Or faith. This isn't talking about saving faith. This is talking about uh, the faith that believes that God can do big, amazing things. Says you can have a ministry, but if your ministry isn't dominated by love for the other person, well, it's an empty ministry. An empty ministry. Gifts are, spiritual gifts, what he's talking about here uh, in chapter 12 and 13, those are to be mechanisms that deliver God's love, that carry God's presence, and increase our capacity to care for one another. And he says, if, if love isn't present, if agape isn't present, you're useless. You're useless. The ministry's empty. Well, let me challenge you. Because here in this verse, you might hear some terms that are a little unfamiliar in your Christian walk. You're like, I don't have the gift of prophecy. I don't have the gift of knowledge. I don't have the gift of faith, big faith like that. Do you know how the Spirit has empowered you to serve and minister within the church? Are you aware of those capacities? I mean, like a human body has different um, parts to it, different organs and systems and different faculties and abilities. You, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are empowered by the Spirit to do things to help the body um, reach and grow and care for itself. Are you aware of those gifts in your own life? Without the presence of love, ministry becomes self-serving instead of self-giving. And we're called to be self-giving, just like Jesus. So he says, you know what? Without love, we've got empty words, we've got empty ministry. And then he kind of shoots the moon and uh, he goes over the top in this big extravagant verse. He says, hey, you might you can give away everything that you have if you want to. You can, give, you can give up your body to be consumed and burned. And it's just an empty sacrifice if there's no agape. If there's no devotion to the neighbor, it's an empty sacrifice. Without devotion, uh, you could give away thousands and thousands of dollars, but you don't get anything out of it. It doesn't minister where you're at. Uh, you, maybe you're just doing things out of duty. I thought about that. I, I thought about a, a father who's very mindful that it's his duty to go and to work and his duty to do this and his duty to do that, but it's not out of devotion to his kids or his spouse. Or a soldier whose duty it is to go serve. But if agape isn't present, then that's an, that's an empty sacrifice. Paul is calling out actions that have led to self-promotion within the Corinthian church. They were using um, tongues, the way they were praying, speaking language. They were using ministry and sacrifice to be noticed, to become more popular, more visible, to get attention to themselves. And he's calling them out. We might be challenged, not because of self-promotion, but because none of these things are present in our life at all. 
It's not like we're misusing tongues or misusing prayer languages or worship. It's not like we're misusing our spiritual gifts or, or misappropriating our sacrifices. It's that we're so self-centered, we're not doing any of these things. Let's think about that for a second. You're not misusing your spiritual gifts. You're not using your spiritual gifts. You're not misusing uh, prayer and praise. You're just not even doing it. It's not that we are sacrificing out of bad motivation. We're just not making any sacrifices at all. Uh, it, what Paul is describing in this fast passage is so beyond our own expression of faith. Like, we're not even in the same ballpark. Like, you can order those uh, master classes. You know, take a master class on this or a master class on that. And you take you take a master class on, on, on making pastries, French fancy pastries. And... But the truth be told is you don't even know how to beat an egg, let alone make fancy pastries. Here the Apostle Paul is trying to adjust how they use spiritual gifts and how they're praying and praising and the sacrifices that they're making. But our issue isn't self-promotion. Our issue is self-centeredness. We're not engaged in those areas. But wouldn't that also mean, like the church in Corinth, our life is empty? We're not misusing it. We're just not using it. And so our life is empty. We're not misusing tongues or gifts. So we're producing nothing. We're creating nothing. So would the Apostle Paul confront our self-centeredness? If we're being honest and reflective, if the Apostle Paul were writing to our church or writing to us as an individual, would he be confronting our self-centeredness? It's not that we're misusing gifts. We're not using gifts. It's not that we're misusing uh, prayer languages or worship. But we're just not engaging in worship at all. It's not that we are mis-sacrificing. We don't give anything. Would he confront how I speak? Would he confront why I don't serve? Would he confront when I sacrifice? Because it's not really sacrifice, it's convenient. Now, these are the mechanisms that God gives Christ followers to up the flow of love within a church, in a community. The words that come out of our mouth and the ministries that we engage in and the sacrifices that we practice. And when we're not doing them, Love is not flowing through us to others. Who doesn't like getting an Amazon delivery? Right? Everyone loves it when the Amazon truck shows up, drops something off. You might know what it is. You might not know what it is. But could you imagine the Amazon truck shows up and you go get the box and you, you open it up and there is nothing inside the box. Right? There's nothing there. The mechanism was in place, but that which, which was supposed to be delivered... Um, not there. Or, or receiving a letter in the mail. Love getting a handwritten letter. There's just something special about that. But could you imagine you go to the mailbox and you take out the envelope and it has your name written on it. And you open it up and there's nothing inside. Nothing inside. That's, that's the, the way in which the Apostle Paul is confronting Corinth. 
He says, you got the outside, but there's nothing on the inside. The whole purpose of those things is to be delivering love, delivering agape, neighborly devotion, communicating the presence and the concern of God to others. Our case is, it's not like the Amazon delivery guy is delivering empty boxes or the postal worker is delivering empty letters. It's, well, they haven't even shown up for work. The Amazon guy didn't show up to drive the truck and the postal worker didn't show up to deliver the mail. That might be what he's getting at. The gospel of Jesus Christ rests on God's devotion to us flowing through Jesus Christ. If you take devotion out, there is no gospel because God looks down at our hot mess and says, I don't care. I'm not getting involved in that. Your circus, your monkey. The gospel rests on his devotion to us. The other, that he comes across the street. He makes himself known in Jesus Christ. This, this is what makes better news better news. This is what makes it stand out from everything else that's going on in the world. Because the rest of the world is concerned with self. The gospel is concerned about the giving of self, of devotion to somebody else. Historians note, uh, as they look at literature and antiquity during this time when the Apostle Paul is writing, that the idea of agape is unique to Christianity. The word, the concept of being devoted to the neighbor of agape is what makes Christianity Christianity. If you take that out, you take the Christianity out of Christianity. There's a story in, in the Gospel of John, and it's familiar to many of you. Jesus is meeting with uh, his disciples for the last time. This is the Last Supper. And they've gathered in a special room, an upper room, and, and, and come morning, he's going to be crucified uh, upon a cross. But before all of that happens, it says that, that Jesus uh, takes off his, uh, his outer garment, wraps a, a slave towel around him, and then he goes to each of the apostles, and he washes their feet. This is an incredible demonstration of humility. He's the host of the meal. He would not be the one that washes people's feet. But after he does this amazing, humbling act of servitude, this is what he says in John chapter 13, verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus says, I'm setting you an example. I'm setting you an example of humble service, and you'd be blessed to do the same thing. 
In the same way I've washed your feet, you are to go wash other people's feet. You are to humble yourself as you reach to the other and as you care for them. Last week, we said that agape, neighborly devotion, flows out of three things. It flows out of a sincere faith, a pure heart, and a good conscience. That's Paul speaking to his, his apprentice in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. A sincere faith, attentiveness to who God is in my relationship with God, because God is the source of love, the Spirit flowing through and working through me. A pure heart, the condition of my heart, the shape of my heart, a heart that, that holds on to sin and lust and greed and pride and self-centeredness. That type of heart is not a heart that love can flow through. In fact, it says that it quenches the Spirit. It chokes out what the Spirit wants to do. And what does the spirit produce? Well, the first thing we're told that it produces is it, it produces love. It produces agape. And then a good conscience. Our ability to, to reach others. Your conscience is your consciousness of what you believe to be right or wrong. And the New Testament is full of passages that talk about your conscience. But my conscience can limit my ability to love others. A healthy and a good conscience is able to reach across the street and care for others. So we gave each other this um, a 312 challenge, try to up the flow uh, of love within our church. And it involved being attentive to how God is devoted to me. It involved reflection upon where I need to repent in my own heart. And then actual practical ways of practicing love with others around us. But let's consider what Paul has said. Paul was confronting the church because they were misusing tongues and misusing spiritual gifts and, and misusing sacrifice to bring about their own self-promotion. But my gut tells me, as I look around our church family, um, it's not that we're misusing knowledge or prophecy or, or giving so that we get attention. We struggle from not doing these things at all. Our challenge isn't self-promotion, it's self-centeredness. So maybe we could take a cue from what Jesus said. How has Jesus washed my feet? Let's begin with that question because we love because he first loved us. Ask yourself that question. How has Jesus washed my feet? In what ways has Jesus drawn close and near to me? Made himself known dwelt among me in my life. Here I am covered in sin, and here I am in guilt and shame. And in what way has Jesus knelt down next to me to say, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm for you. Jesus making himself known. Because I feel when we begin to wrap our soul around the presence of Jesus in our own life, it then sparks within us the courage and capacity to let that same love flow through us to others, to up the flow. Now, next week, we're going to dive into some of these specific um, actions, ways in which you could diagnose and see a neighborly devotion, what it looks like what it does. But that's not what this week is about. That's not how Paul presented the passage. The Apostle Paul began by confronting um, the negative, what it's not. 
if we're all about upping the flow of neighborly devotion, gospel love and presence in our families, our church, in our neighborhoods, then we need to address the fact that maybe we're not even stepping up to the plate in the slightest. Love can't flow because we're not being obedient. Not that we're praying wrong. We're not praying at all. It's not that we're serving with the wrong motivation. We're not even serving. It's not that we're making a sacrifice to get attention. We're, there's no possible way we could be inconvenienced at all. After all, it is summer and the weather's nice. So let me challenge you. This week, take some time for reflection. And let the Holy Spirit draw near to you. Let the Holy Spirit prick your conscience. Reflect on how Jesus has washed your feet. How he has drawn near to you. And then we might be surprised the things that grow on the other side. As you can tell, I am not in the building. Uh, in fact, as we speak right now, I'm probably somewhere next to a river on the other side of Ohio. Um, family vacation. But because we're on vacation, uh, we needed someone to come in and water the plants at our house. Herb garden and flowers and, of course, my bonsai trees. And uh, um, So we need to have someone come down. Plants can't take care of themselves. We needed someone to come in and turn on the faucet and run the hose and, and not just give a little sprinkle, but to give a good soaking. Someone had to engage. Someone had to stand in the gap for ourselves and the plants that, that needed that, that nourishment and refreshment. Jesus is asking you to stand in the gap. He's asking you to be the servant that lets his spirit flow through us to bring devotion and presence, kindness, ministry to those on the other side. And as a result, as we up the flow, as our, we let our life have meaning and purpose, we'll see fruit on the other side. We'll see beauty on the other side. We'll see God do amazing things on the other side.